As it stands now, America's railroads are there for the financial sector. How about if we actually make our railroads work for the good of the nation? I'm Bert Cohen, and with your help, we are keeping democracy alive. What's going on? He's not breathing. Can you get a pulse? Barely. Call a code. Get Nambia back from the nurse's station. Heart's still working means synapses are still firing. We just need to get a message through. Prosperity for the few, the rights of U.S. corporations to extract from the land of Central America and exploit the people of Central America. What we've really seen is a financial sector that's gotten out of hand. There's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy. People don't feel that they can do very much. I speak tonight for the dignity of man. Those untold millions of us Americans in the 21st century traveling on our highways are quite used to being overwhelmed with really big trucks carrying a lot of freight. Their rather monstrous engines belching out tons of carbon emissions every hour of every day all over America. Trains carrying freight, well, very few of us ever see that. It's, it's not as evident as the big, big trucks. But the truth is, railways built the America we have today. Highways were pushed for by the powerful trucking lobby in the mid-20th century, and President Eisenhower touted his continuance of FDR's New Deal investment in the infrastructure essential for meeting the basic needs of our citizens. The focus was on highways, thanks to the lobby. Today, we're trying to get from point to point A to point B. Oftentimes, truck congestion is a factor out of our control, and sometimes it can be a little bit frightening. The reality is trucks have long been seen to dominate the freight delivery aspect because the federal government specifically enabled it and used our tax dollars to build the highway infrastructure they rely on. They did that for railroads in the 19th century. That's why they exist at all. It was made to happen that way because of Wall Street pressure. Railroads were used as a way to manipulate capital more than any other reason for their existence in the 20th and 21st centuries. I Frankly, sure didn't know that until I read the article written by our guest that railroads are the most profitable industry sector in America. I bet you didn't know that either. Railroads are back in the news with the high visibility in recent days of a potentially devastating strike by railroad employees being narrowly averted. Such a work action, of course, would have had a profound negative effect on our economy. And the Democrats knew that. Assuming rank-and-file vote to agree, yes, a breath of relief is appropriate that the strike is over, the threat of a strike is gone. But with that settlement, our guest, the New Republic's Timothy Noah, asserts that now is the time to try something more meaningful and long-lasting. Because, as he says, this hardly means the nation's rail system is in good health. Huh. The title of his piece in the New Republic is Strike Settled, 
Now let's nationalize the railroads. The federal highway system bases its existence on being nationalized. Why not the railroads now? Timothy Noah, thanks so much for being with us and keeping democracy alive. Thanks for having me. Timothy Noah is a New Republic staff writer and author of The Great Divergence, America's Growing Inequality Crisis and What We Can Do About It. Well, again, thanks. Tim, you write that before, in the nick of time settlement, quote, most Americans had probably little idea that they remain so utterly dependent on rail freight. For sure, yes, uh, we are not. What is the reality? Please tell us. Well, you know, there has been a decline in, in the amount of freight that gets moved by railroads, but it is still true that a third of our freight in the United States moves by rail. And um, it really should be more because of climate change. Um, uh, railroads uh, belch out about a tenth as many uh, 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 greenhouse gases as trucks do. And uh, so any plausible uh, strategy to uh, confront carbon emissions in the, in the United States has to include a big uh, push towards rail, a reversal of this long-term decline. But instead what's happening is that Wall Street is accelerating the decline um, a century, essentially by, by plundering the railroads, ah. which is some, something that's been going on for half a century. Uh, it began in the 60s, uh, you know, because the, the, um, the building of the uh, Eisenhower's initiative on, on uh, highways uh, did cause a decline in rails. I, I think it was a great thing, the, um, uh, but, but uh, it should have been matched by um, investment in railroads because we, we needed the rails to move freight then and we need the rails to move freight even more now. Uh, but it wasn't matched. There was a clear preference, a clear tilt in federal policy towards highways and towards airports and away from rail. And that needs to be reversed. Well, that that's, I, I listen to language and you use the term plunder. That's, that's a strong term. Tell us what you mean more specifically about how Wall Street is plundering this. Well, this is, you know, particularly in the last 20 odd years, you have seen hedge funds uh, move in and private equity move in and, um, uh, on, on railroads, and they've created mergers. They have stripped down um, assets. They've sold off rights of way. Um, mm. They've shut down railroad depots, all in the interest of absolutely maximizing uh -huh. the return on capital. Um, mm. With the mergers, you've now got about seven railroad uh, major railroads in the united states and they have um uh you know monopoly regional monopolies and they squeeze their customers as hard as they can and um uh and that's the strategy minimum you know they've laid off about a third of their workers um and uh and the, the strategy is less service worse service 
um, squeeze the customers. And of mm-hmm. course, you know, that will ultimately have the effect uh, over the long term of uh, pushing even more customers into uh, uh, moving freight by trucks, which is the opposite direction we yeah. need to go in. Yeah, interesting. I, I, I love history. And uh, for a good bit of American history, the idea of monopolies was not seen as a good thing, uh, that competition was good for uh, survival of capitalism and, and you know for people to have choices. And when you have fewer and fewer businesses, more and more mergers, there's less and less of a choice for people. And as you say, uh, it, it's is not good for for service. Uh, it just it cuts down on costs and increased uh, profitability for sure. But uh, you know, I, I wonder if you know, like say, you know, a hundred years ago, about how many railroads there were. There's there's as you say, there's seven now. What any guess as to what it was about a hundred years ago? I don't know. Many, many more. Uh, And you had a vigorous um, Mm -hmm. government policy. Uh, You know, much of uh, antitrust law was was came about because of the railroads and the railroad barons of the 19th century. Um, uh, But you also had vigorous regulation first at the state level Uh and then at the federal level um, uh, uh, through the Interstate Commerce Commission, which which Uh got shut down in the 90s. Uh, you know, uh, Jimmy Carter came of the railroads hit very hard time in times in the uh, 60s and 70s. And that was an important fork in the road. And the U.S. was faced with a choice. It could nationalize the railroads um, the way uh, European, uh. Uh, most uh, Western European countries did. Or it could... Um, it could deregulate them. And Mm. so they, they nationalized uh, long haul passenger service with Amtrak and they deregulated freight. And um, it was a mistake. Clearly Uh, initially the railroads were in such bad shape uh, by the late seventies that the deregulation um, uh, that came about uh, initially gave it a shot in the arm. Um, but um, you, uh, it led to this monopolization and eventually to this selling off of assets that you've seen for the uh-huh. last 20 years and a downsizing and a very, you know, a very short term oriented strategy. Yeah, selling off unprofitable at the moment assets. Uh, a lot of people are affected by that. Businesses, uh, people who you know work uh, relative to the railroads, but again, it is profitable. And a lot of those assets were 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 not unprofitable. They were just not not profitable enough to suit <laughs> Wall Street. Um, you know uh, where you've got fifty percent profits uh, by some measures, and and uh, which which yes makes it the most profitable industry in America, which is absurd. Look at railroads. They don't look like the most profitable <laughs> industry in America because they're not. <laughs> well, but but for the, the Wall Street people, it's just a, a tool, a mechanism, uh, a scheme to, uh, to increase uh, profits. And, you know, never mind what the actual 
thing is, the thing of value. Uh, and, and, you know, when, when people are looking at investments, they, they, I think it's usually a good idea to look and see what the actual value is. What is the widget that gets made and gets sold? But Wall Street doesn't know. What is, the, what is the quality of the service? What, is the, what are the long-term prospects for the industry? These are things that, that Wall Street doesn't care about. They are just picking over the bones. Oh, lovely. Well, most of us who don't work on Wall Street are really concerned more and more with global warming and really severe climate change, which is indeed happening faster than a lot of us expected. You write, to the extent rail freight could be made to displace trucks, that would greatly reduce America's carbon footprint. End of your quote. Please give us some Specifics. Can we compare? You gave us a little bit before, but can we can we compare emissions from trucks per measure of weight carried to that by by train? Uh, trucks belch out uh, almost ten times as many greenhouse emissions uh, per ton as uh, as trains do. Mm. Um, so you could have uh, if we shifted all of the uh, all of our you know you can't shift all right of to, uh, to rail, but uh, but to the extent that you can, you know, you're belching out uh, one tenth as many um, carbon emissions. And transportation is the big contributor. Yeah. yeah to to uh, uh climate change there's no other industry sector that contributes as much now you know that you have you do have uh, the railroads have uh you know faced a couple of practical problems uh they used to depend very heavily on the transport of coal um mm-hmm. and the decline of coal has taken some business away from from freight, um, but uh, the the you know the owners have have uh, still uh, failed to uh, exploit opportunities to move other kinds of freight, uh-huh. um, and and as a result, you have this ever diminishing uh, uh, um, sector of um, uh, rail freight compared to trucks yeah for sure and uh yeah they, they could be doing a lot more for sure and you know i i, I seem to remember I, my memory's not always perfect but that when obama was first elected he promised eight billion dollars to improve rail service now most of that was i'm sure intended for for passenger service but i'm not sure if that ever happened uh, not everything he proposed got through. Do you know if if that eight billion dollars of our taxpayer money was ever I, invested? I don't remember uh, whether it did, but uh, but the the more recent infrastructure bill had a lot uh-huh. of money for for rail. Uh-huh. Um, you know, sort of President Biden is uh, his nickname is Amtrak Joe, and right, um, right. So um, we we have had a really significant investment in in railroads, and uh, I think the federal government should should now think about how they're going to get their money's worth out of it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know what I really think is that, uh, as I say in my piece, we should nationalize the railroads, yes. or failing that, uh, nationalize at least the tracks. Um, uh-huh. because it's, uh, you know, the tracks are, um, 
you know, the, the, the federal government subsidized the, the building of these railroad tracks. Uh, uh, it, it, it granted valuable rights of way. It, 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 it granted, um, it, it gave uh, uh, land to the railroad yes. companies. And in exchange, it uh, created certain charters that created uh, public responsibilities for the railroads. And those go completely unenforced today. Again, look at any other country. Uh, Two things you will notice about any other country in the uh, industrialized world is that um, uh, the the, the train systems are nationalized and the train service is infinitely better. Yes. Um, If you just think as a passenger, we are still waiting in the United States for high speed rail uh, for passengers. Um, This is an old technology in Europe and in Japan. And we have it in theory with the Acela uh, on Mm. the uh, uh, Amtrak's Acela. But, um, you know, because the Acela can theoretically go 150 miles an hour, but it never does because uh, the tracks uh, don't allow it. (sighs) The tracks don't allow it. And just straightening the tracks and uh, there's, you know, there's, there's work to be done there, people. You know, FDR was right, in my opinion, you know, that uh, fixing the infrastructure creates a lot of jobs and, uh, you know, it helps the economy by giving more people more money to spend to buy things. It increases demand. Maybe that's too complicated for the uh, Wall Street uh, puppets <laughs> in, in Washington. I don't know. For those who may have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here, the show is Keeping Democracy Alive. And we're talking about our rails and how, yeah, okay, the strike, the potential strike was settled. But as our uh, guest today, uh, New Republic's Timothy Noah writes, Maybe it's time to nationalize the railroads, as is done everywhere else in the world right now. And we're talking about some of the uh, uh, things that are getting in the way. Um, And, yeah, passenger service, and quite frankly, I rarely go to New York, but I don't know, it just seemed like whenever I went to Penn Station, I'd run into Senator Joe Biden. He was always on the train. <laughs> it just, I don't know. It was amazing. He, he, he likes the trains. And yeah, I do too. Uh, and passenger service has improved somewhat. Schedules are generally reliable, but you say freight schedules are pure chaos. Tell us about that, please. Yes, there's this, uh, there's this uh, theory um called PSR, uh, uh-huh. which still stands for Precision Rail Management. I think that's what it stands for. And it's an elaborate theory that's supposed to um, kind of uh, bring sort of just in time, the, the, the theory of just in time um, uh-huh. uh, to, to, to rail service. Uh, you know, as, as soon as uh, uh, cars are ready to go, you move them, which means you have... Um, uh, schedules that are uh, less predictable and you have shorter trains. That's not what's happened. What's happened, you've got the less predictable schedules, but you have longer trains mm-hmm. and you have um, uh, fewer workers. And it's it's basically a cover for um, uh, just stripping down these assets. 
as much as you can, laying off workers, uh, getting rid of rights of way, getting rid of depots. Um, and uh, Congressman uh, Pete DeFazio has been very eloquent on this subject um, uh, from Oregon. Um, he says, you know, PSR is just a lot of mumbo jumbo uh, that is about maximizing profits. Wow. Precision scheduled railroading. It, it sounds so nice. Uh, and as you say, freight trains are getting longer uh, thanks to PSR but less frequent. What affects, how does this arrangement affect profits? Uh, it drives profits up. It also screws up passenger service, by the way. It's, oh, really? it's, uh, Phil Longman wrote a very good piece uh, for the Washington Monthly last year, last summer, about all this. And he kind of pointed out that with irregular schedules, you've got freight uh, companies that own track uh, not wanting Amtrak trains uh, scheduled uh, at, uh, very frequently because uh, their movement of freight is so irregular that they just don't know when they're going to need their tracks. And um, oh so as a result, it's also caused a, a severe decline in, in um, uh, Amtrak coverage uh, and, and the frequency which, with which Amtrak passenger trains run. Um, the, the, uh, the amount, I just sort of checked, the amount in the um, infrastructure bill was $60 billion over uh -huh. 10 years. Oh, that's good. And, you know, which is great, but uh, we should be getting, uh, we should be able to uh, uh, dictate the terms. Uh, uh, Hmm. And and um, hmm. we're not and we're not because Congress basically gave away its power to regulate the hmm. railroads uh, 40 odd years ago. And that needs to change. Um, we need to reassert that that uh, railroads are a public good, that the companies that run them should not be wildly profitable uh, monopolies, they should be public utilities and um, preferably owned by the government itself. Interesting. You say railroads are more profitable than the banks that control them. <laughs> but, and you, you go on to be clear, it's the banks that are in charge, not the railroads. The trains are an afterthought. Tell us what you mean, please. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, this this actually came up in the union negotiations. The, the uh -huh. um, uh, you know, the 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 the, uh, the look, railroad workers make a lot of money. Yes, so that, that, that's clear. Um, uh, they're in a, you know, you work for the most profitable industry in America. You want a piece of the action, right? What a concept. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, but. Uh, um, the the uh, PSR has has uh, with all these layoffs has meant that um, workers are worked to the bone. I mean, they have to be on call twenty four seven, and they get penalized if they uh, have to go to the doctor, if they have to have a medical procedure, and. Um, this became a bone of contention in the talks, and it was weird that management wasn't backing down on this. And I think uh, even even uh, Biden, in the course of negotiations, mm. expressed bafflement that this was what was this was what was going to cause a nationwide strike. Was this, you know, simple 
humane ask by the railroad workers that management was absolutely refusing to back down on. And it's because management is absolutely terrified that if they were to give on this, that it would uh-huh. um, shade their profit margins down a few points. And and they are absolute slaves to uh, mm. uh, to Wall Street. I mean, some of these some of these companies are owned by uh, uh, you know uh, by by uh, Wall Street um, firms and. Um, they, they, and the ones that aren't are essentially controlled by them. Mm. And uh, th- th- there's these, as you say, the, the railroads impose Dickensian work rules governing time off. This point system, how, how does that work? And this, I guess, was a real bone of contention. You know, as you say, railroad workers earn excellent pay, they get, they work their tails off. Money wasn't the sticking point, but what about what? What is this point system, and how does why does it make them so the, the workers so uh, angry? Uh, the, it's this point system where you get say thirty points, and you you lose a certain number of points every time you don't work when you are called upon to work. If you, um, I think, if you just say no because you don't want to uh that's about 10 points and if you say no because of a um a doctor visitor it was about two or three points they did finally get uh in the negotiation they got an exemption for doctor visits and for medical procedures imagine um and you know over a certain number of months uh if you use up all your points you get penalized in one way or another um it's it's uh it's not all that unusual a system for personnel, but when you combine it with the requirement that you be on call 24 seven, um, it becomes kind of brutal. Mm. Uh, and, and, um, so the, the, uh, uh, you know, it's a really, uh, uh, uh modest ask on the part of yeah. the railroad workers and management just was not willing to yield, and it really took, um, you know, uh, Marty Walsh, the Secretary of yeah. Labor, and President Biden, to come down really hard on them and say this has to happen. Um, and so they gave a little bit on the points. They didn't give a lot, and it's it's actually not certain that this that this deal is going to get approved by the workers. Oh, interesting. Um, and uh, I mean, one hopes it, it will, because we, we, we don't want uh, it'll be catastrophic oh, for yeah. the economy if the rails shut down. Um, uh, but I understand uh, some of the rank and file are, are pissed off about this. What what they really need is um, just a complete overhaul of of the railroads and uh this so i say in my piece that the strike you know the issue really wasn't uh a labor issue it was an issue about how uh this long-term trend uh where um uh the railroads have been plundered by um uh, financiers for um half a century and especially for the last 20 years yeah, it does sound kind of Dickensian as you describe it, losing points and uh, you know being basically slaves to to the owners. And uh, you know here we are, well into the twenty first century. 
Um, and I, I, I read a book recently, uh, uh, Kazin, Michael Kazin's book about uh, how uh, the Democratic Party has done well. And he looks through the various electoral victories over the last hundred years or so, and movements are a big part of it. Movements, uh, labor movement has always underlain any electoral victories for Democrats. Of course, had there been a strike uh, at this point, right before the midterms, uh, yeah, that would have been kind of disastrous for Democrats. What What is the significance of the power today flexed by the railroad unions in the larger economic and political reality today? Well, you know, uh, we're very lucky we've got a pro-labor president Indeed. In, in, in Biden. I think if a Republican president had been in office, yeah. the strike would have gone forward. Um, uh, I think that uh, Biden had to call in a lot of chits with labor yeah. to, uh, to, to get this done. And um, a Republican wouldn't have been able to do that. Uh, he would have tried to force it through. The only thing that that might have uh, prevented that if a Republican had been president is that Congress does have the power to force a settlement uh, of a strike. Um, uh, uh, you know, it's weird that, you know, Congress does recognize, does maintain power of the railroads in the negative sense that it can break a strike, but it doesn't maintain any control over the railroads in the positive sense that it can um, uh, make the railroads fulfill their public obligations. And they do have public obligations. And I think that's really the, the question that that we're dealing with, that uh, what it, like there's, a, there's the term public utility. Public utilities are things we depend on. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt certainly knew that electricity was needed uh, for people in the then just like incredibly poor uh, southern parts of the uh, currently United States. Uh, and water systems, electrical systems, it just... I, the, 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 yeah, electrical power was a huge, was a huge issue in yes. the 1930s. Uh, you know, they were... Um, uh, Wall Street was heavily invested in electrical power, and, and, oh, and interesting. Um, and and there, uh, the reason we have um, the reason we have electrical uh, utilities that are uh, subject to some public control yes. is because of legislation passed under FDR. Um, uh, the uh, you know these things don't just happen. No. <laughs> uh, politics has to make them happen. It it does, and I'm curious about. I frankly didn't know about uh, Wall Street's power over electricity. Uh, it was know. a big business, obviously. It was booming, and anything that's booming is going to be a big business. And so I wonder what kind of fight there may have been. There's certainly uh, they, you know, the the money on Wall Street, uh, as Bob Dylan said, uh, "Money doesn't talk; it swears." Uh, they, uh, they had somebody. There was some power that had to come up against that power—the power of well, FDR—and you know, he only 
did things when he felt like he had the public with him. Otherwise, he wasn't going to do it for sure. I seem to recall Sam Rayburn also played a key role in that fight um, uh, as a Democratic. Uh, uh, I think he, he was not yet uh, Speaker of the House, I don't think. I could be wrong about that. But he was um, a very forceful uh, proponent of bringing the power companies uh, under public control. And and how does, for those people who just may have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here, the show is Keeping Democracy Alive. And we're talking about a key aspect of democracy, uh, saving the planet, for one thing. The other thing is uh, having what are really public utilities regulated as public utilities. We're talking with uh, Timothy Noah of the uh, the New Republic, uh, who's written Strike Settled, Now Let's Nationalize the Railroads. Some may think that's a pretty radical uh, concept, but uh, maybe, maybe not. And how, the, the railroads in, in Europe, in Western Europe, which run pretty well, uh, I wonder if they were ever uh, privately, you know, have, have, have their banks used them as uh, playthings, as Wall Street has, as you say, uh, or have they always been nationalized because phew, the, the, the public needs rails? I don't know the history very well, but I know that I know that uh, at least some of them were were um, uh, were private and then made public. Uh, um, I don't know how many. Right. And uh, but I think I think a lot. Um, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, rail uh, uh, transit is uh, is much more robust in, mm -hmm. in Western Europe than yeah. it is here. I mean, you can actually travel around Western Europe by rail, <laughs> try traveling around the United States by rail. Only the most dedicated uh, 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 train aficionado. Yes, yeah, true. Try. <laughs> well, I, I, I will say in 1931, when my dad was 17, uh, he he got around by rails, uh, traveling with hobos, hopping on the rail cars. You don't see that anymore. You just don't see that anymore. And I'm sure the uh, the uh, rail dicks, the police there, um, they, they could get a tad uh, violent as well. But that's a separate story, rather personal. But one of America's most respected and astute investors, of course, is Warren Buffett. He is a so-called value investor. What about his involvement with this? And his, his he owns he yeah. owns he owns one of the one of the big seven, as they're called. Uh -huh. And um, uh, and obviously, you know, his interest is in um, he's a value investor. He's 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 not um, uh, quite the vulture that uh, that some of these other guys are. Mm -hmm. But, you know, he invested in railroads because there was a good return on them. Um, and uh, he has not done PSR, but, uh, you know, so he's, 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 um, uh, he's not as, as rapacious as some of the others, but you know, why would a guy like Warren Buffett even want to own a railroad? Because they are, um, because they are, uh, churning out these profits, uh, uh that are unhealthy, uh, for the long-term survival of, uh, these assets. Yeah, there it is. And and you note in your article that the percent of return has increased from 
uh, no, 676 percent in 2004. 676 percent in 2004. Not too shabby. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, but, I've become wildly. It's and it's freakish. I mean, you you know, you can't <laughs> you can't get that kind of return usually without cooking mess. But uh, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the uh, the railroad companies have managed to do it, and I understand stock prices have increased twelve hundred fifty percent since yeah. then. That that's some might say an obscene rate of return. Uh, you know, we, we... it's certainly an unsustainable rate of return. And when you see that that rate of return, uh, you don't have to know anything else. You know something is wrong. You know you know that. Uh, some uh, something's going on that does not uh, uh, comport with uh, the long-term health of an enterprise. Yeah, it's not exactly kosher, and uh, it's it's kind of the the rate of return. You know, the crime syndicate, uh, the Sopranos, people like that. That they, they, they could that that's kind of return that they might make, but uh, you know, it, it's just uh, as a legitimate uh, industry. One has to think, well, what's going wrong with this? This is where the country is so dependent on moving freight uh, that uh, to be making this kind of profit, maybe there's something wrong with that. And that's why, and we're going to get to looking at, at nationalization. And again, being a, a, a his, history buff myself, no, if, if you look at the history of, of America, the settling, which meant you know, the pushing out of everybody else who was there, of the West, uh, it, when tax, taxpayers subsidized railroads in the mid-19th century, the location of the tracks was really significant. Uh, who had political power? Some towns boomed, ones where the tracks got located, while other towns got nothing. Uh, and, and the payoff uh, for taxpayers was that the railroads were required to serve all customers. And that and there was a fantastic, I don't want to, you know, pretty enough, there was a fantastic amount of corruption around that as well. Oh, you had a lot yeah. of uh, <clears throat> railroad uh, uh, companies paying bribes to Congress. Absolutely. You know, this is the Gilded Age, which was <laughs> not a, uh, a, actually much, you know, you think things are bad today. They were much worse then uh, in terms of political corruption. Yes. And uh, I recommend um, uh Mark Twain's book, *The Gilded Age*, uh, actually, which which coined the term, and uh, it's a novel that that you know people think it's about Wall Street. It isn't really. It's about it's it's a Washington novel about um, private interests uh, coming to Washington and buying mm -hmm. senators um, mm -hmm. in order to secure rights of way and so forth. Yeah, um, the the corruption was, uh, you know, the dollars going from this pocket to that pocket. To, to locate the, the railroads, it was, yeah, it was ugly. It was ugly. And it, uh, uh, but it's funny, I, I was just reading a book review the other day. There's a new book um, about Jay Gould, who was the, uh -huh. uh, the railroad baron. And um, one point it made, which I hadn't known, was that a lot of the things that, that Gould was um, hated for in his time uh, and, and and you know a lot of these things were illegal in his time. He got away with them. Um, are now perfectly uh, standard practice. 
in American capitalism today. Holding companies, for example, were viewed with huge suspicion uh, in in Gould's time. And now um, they're absolutely routine. Uh, so it's kind of interesting how um, practices that are, are seen as deeply unethical at first gradually become accepted practices. Well, as they say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. If the corruption system works so well, what the heck? <laughs> Lock it into law. Nationalization. That is a phrase, a term that sometimes uh, has, has triggers to it. I remember back in the, in the 1970s when there was the, uh, the gas crisis and the price of gas went way up to a dollar a gallon. <gasps> uh, there was some talk about nationalizing uh, the petroleum industry. Obviously, it didn't happen. Um, and it's kind of lucky it didn't because it was <laughs> it would have been a bad investment by the federal government. Interesting, but you note that there is a precedent. It's not such a radical way out, you know, Lenin Marxist Leninist thing to do. There's a precedent for doing so in times of national emergency, when when there has been nationalization, when that has happened. What has been the emergency that, that where we accepted nationalization? Woodrow Wilson nationalized the railroads for a few years during World War One, and um, uh, uh, you know the country managed to survive. Um, and uh, and as I mentioned earlier, passenger service, uh, long long haul passenger service was. Uh, nationalized uh in the uh 70s by richard richard nixon yes. a republican yes. um and um so yeah there is uh precedent for this uh the the danger here is that when the uh when rail freight does finally collapse at some future date Oof. there won't be any assets left to nationalize um uh you know, rights of way have been sold off. I, you know, I love rail to trail right. uh, bike paths as much as the next guy, but they come at a price. Um, yes. They come at the the price of a loss of uh, railroad track. And um, some of those routes are no longer needed. But um, uh, I think they have lost something like 40%. Uh, I think Phil Longman in his piece from uh -huh. last year said uh -huh. we have lost something like 40% of, um, uh, of our sort of uh, rail, rail system. Uh, uh, yeah, over the past, you know, 50 years or so. And that's an enormous amount. And, uh, you know, mm. we are going to need to move things by rail if we are going to save the planet. That is not a controversial opinion. Yeah, interesting. And and I was going to ask, would it be a stretch to see our climate crisis as one such national emergency? And as you say, transportation is a big factor. People, it, it sort of, I mean, it really breaks down into uh, wealth versus not wealth. If people have money, they can buy electric cars. That's an individual uh, effort that, yeah, it helps but it doesn't deal with the systemic creation of the the carbon footprint, which is just, uh, you know, it's it's really really dangerous. And I I wonder if 
how the public might see dealing with the climate crisis as a national emergency calling for a, a, a an effort like this to actually nationalize uh, the railroads. Your thoughts on that, Tim? I, you know, I don't have any great thoughts about what the mechanism would be in this case. Uh, I'm not enough of an expert to know, but um, uh, again, it's been done before. Mm -hmm. it, it, it can be done again. Um, the uh, and you know the the urgency of, yes. of climate change is uh, it's not a point you even have to argue anymore. It's 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 mm -hmm. obvious. Uh, uh, there's a story in the paper today about the president of the World Bank. I forget his name, who uh, was appointed by Trump, and he was a climate. Uh, change denier for a while and he's finally got in trouble for it and is now starting to say that yes uh, there is a climate crisis but um he's very unenthusiastic about uh making it a priority at the world bank and um that really should be disqualifying i mean that that um uh that is that should be one of the uh or the uh principal role of the world bank at this point and um mm -hmm. So uh, there are still sort of pockets where, you know, you have to um, push hard just to get people to recognize that climate change exists, which is amazing because look around, um, uh, you know, we literally have rivers that were drying up um, yeah. around the globe yeah. this summer. Um, uh, you know, some of the pictures were just shocking. I mean, you must, you probably saw them of the Loire and the Rhine and, and, um, uh, you know, they were dry, dry riverbeds. And uh, um, uh, so what's it going to take? I don't know. But 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 this is a this there are a lot of hard choices uh, mm. uh, raised by climate change. And rail is not one of them. Rail is easy. <laughs> um, we, it's a very simple solution. We got to move a lot more freight by rail. And um, uh, I don't think that um, uh, uh, the uh, private ownership will allow that to happen. Mm. Uh, uh, and uh, so if, if, if the private owners can't make that happen, the federal government will have to. And and I do wonder, you know, the as I understand it, the national, the federal highway system is, by definition, nationalized. I, I wonder what else may be uh, owned by the nation as, as an entity and, and, and how it works. And well, the federal government has a massive uh, investment in air, even though the airlines were deregulated at uh -huh. the same time as the uh -huh. railroads and uh and trucks in the 70s, but there is still massive um, government investment in in airlines uh, compared to rails. Um, mm. uh, you know, sort of, uh, no major airport uh, gets built in America without massive investment uh, by the feds. I and, and you know we we have a a society which is uh, based on. Uh, the uh, fantasy of, of individualism, that it's individual effort that, uh, that, that, that built this country. It's, it's not really true. And I wonder, 
you know, if people could say, well, what's in it for me? What's in it for me to nationalize uh, the the railroad system? I mean, do they want to, uh, you know, just do it out of the goodness of their hearts and and to to you know fight climate change, or could could the average person actually see, you know, benefits from nationalizing it? I wonder what what benefits you can see that uh, might actually uh, help people. Well, you know, we talk about the supply chain and how the um, uh, disruptions in the supply chain uh, pushed up inflation. People are concerned about inflation. Republicans are trying to make it the number one issue. Yes. Well, one reason for all these supply chain interruptions, which pushed up uh, inflation and created even more fantastic profits for the railroads, um, one uh, reason is the... um, fragility of uh, the rail uh, freight network around the country compared to 40, 50 years ago. Um, uh, Interesting. The, the, yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, sort of goods have been moving more slowly across the country uh, uh, because we don't have redundant systems. We, we, um, we, we uh, have, um you know, between the when when you have a sort of reduced workforce, and you have a lot of people out sick because of COVID, or quitting because they're afraid they're going to get COVID, um, uh, that creates tremendous fragility in the system. And uh, it was, you know, the, we 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 see that replicated in in other industries too, in shipping and and. Uh, uh, but but the bottom line is that that um, if we had a more robust rail freight system, we'd have less inflation. Gosh, and you know, people say, "Oh, it's Biden's fault. It's all those Democrats." Of course, it has nothing really to do with that. But gosh, if people could see that uh, freight being slowed down not getting from point A to point B, and that there's a whole supply chain thing, that so clearly uh, affects inflation. Boy, that'd have to be a big uh, selling job to make people aware of that, because it's, it's not so easy. If you, want to bl- if you want to blame a Democrat, blame Jimmy Carter. Uh, you know, Carter, much of Carter's legacy was very good. Uh, he, 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 he was in many ways a good president, but this was not his finest hour. Yeah, uh, and it was not liberals' finest hour because liberals were really the driving force behind the um, transportation deregulation of the late 70s. Teddy Kennedy was a big proponent. Ralph Nader really? was a big really? proponent. Uh, yes, this particular huh. deregulation was seen as pro-consumer, uh, and um, uh, in some respects, it was pro-consumer. I mean, it, 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 the, the most vivid example uh, is uh, with airline deregulation. You did see a huge um, reduction in the cost of air travel and a democratization of air travel. Uh-huh. It came at a pretty high price, which was... Um, loss of um, people getting crowded into planes in a way they hadn't right. been before and um, uh, loss of service in cer- on certain uh, uh, routes and a huge increase in the cost of um, certain short hops. Uh, but at least you saw some consumer benefit there. 
um, uh, with um, uh, with railroads. Uh, you know, you, you you probably saw some short term improvement for consumers, but over the over the long uh, you know over the last forty years, it's it's uh, it's been a decline. Yeah, and people, as you know, often have a a hard time seeing the big picture. We're you know with the uh, fire hose of news coming at us twenty four seven. Who can pay attention to to all this stuff? But I wonder about you know when you say nationalization. Of course, there's going to be the reaction, the the you know knee jerk reaction by some. But I I wonder. I, do you see? Congress is huge. Are there any people in Congress now? I mean, you mentioned some of the uh, champions in the past who might be uh, interested in this and could see the the political benefit of, of doing this. I mean, again, they're not going to do it without some sort of electoral political benefit. But uh, the the talk about uh, nationalizing railroads, I, you know, I saw your article, obviously, but I don't I don't hear a lot of talk about that. And 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 yeah, I, I I don't know what Pete Trefazio would say. He's probably he probably doesn't want to talk about nationalizing, but he is right. in Congress. He is the uh, the sharpest critic of the, he's he's chairman of the Transportation Committee, and he has been a very very severe and insightful critic of what's been happening in the rail industry. Uh, and a lot and, of people um, say if you you know if if you want. I mean, look at they they look to the post office. I think the post office is doing a pretty darn good job, actually, considering. But but there's a an, an aversion, sort of a, a a natural aversion to, well, let let the government do it. Most people, I think, think, well, the private sector can do it better because it's a profit. I I it's it's hard one to get through to see that uh, there are utilities that that we need to depend on. We need. I mean, we have we have. Uh, Police, firefighters, you know, that's kind of roads are plowed. That's socialism for you. But we all depend on that. Inexpensive, inexpensive electricity is one. That's you, you get that because of uh, utilities, uh, because it's provided by uh, public utilities. Um, uh, there's been some deregulation there as well uh, mm. uh, in terms of the purchasing of energy, um, and you know, my vague sense is that that's been beneficial, although uh, it's created problems of its own. But um, you know, your 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 uh, your electric company can't jack up rates on you uh, uh, during um, power shortages. They're not allowed to do that. Right, and they are regulated as utilities. Regulated is not a, uh, a Another word for communism. It's really not. It can help all our businesses. It can help everybody as as individuals. And I got to ask, you say that labor's threat to shut down rail freight was a cry for help. Explain what you mean by that. I think that it was just a, it was a, uh, it came about because, I mean, I mean it metaphorically. I don't think it was right. a literal cry for help by the railroad uh, uh, workers, but I think that it was um, a sign that things are amiss in, in rail. It wasn't just a labor dispute. It was a sign that things have gone badly wrong in, uh -huh. in rail freight 
generally and the, the source of these problems. This is not a case where the problem is simply that that um, uh, management is being stingy with with mm -hmm. uh, labor, although that was certainly happening too. It's that the whole um, business model is anti-consumer, it's anti-worker, it's it's uh, bad for the mm. environment, um, it's and that it's bad for the long-term health of the uh, of the railroad sector itself. Oh, aside from that, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thank you so much for being with us today. There's there's options we have uh, that uh, you know people oftentimes certain powers want average Americans to believe we are powerless. We are not powerless. We can talk about these ideas. We can spread these ideas and and help to make it happen. If people want to read more of your stuff, The New Republic, great magazine, been around a long time. Some really, really good people been there. I don't know if there's any other uh, ways you can suggest that people follow your stuff, Tim. Uh, well, I, I, I think yeah, I'm writing... Uh, uh, mostly for the new republic i also have a newsletter uh called mm -hmm. backbencher that's at timothy noah.substack.com uh, mm -hmm. um and i would also strongly recommend the writings of phil longman who really has forgotten more about railroads than i'll ever know yeah. <laughs> uh and uh he's uh he's a writer for the washington monthly and oh, i would particularly recommend um the piece that he wrote i think it was in july of 2021 um uh about the railroads um which i link to in my piece um uh -huh. and it's a very very thorough very knowledgeable review of what's been going wrong um really since the 70s well let's get this railroad a going thank you so much for being with us and keeping democracy alive thank you so much Gone, do it again. 